Part two of Chapter eleven of the Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Chapter eleven, part two then he turned his attention to embroideries and to the tapestries that performed the office of frescoes in the chill rooms of the northern nations of europe as he investigated the subject and he always had an extraordinary faculty of becoming absolutely absorbed for the moment in whatever he took up he was almost saddened by the reflection of the ruin that time brought on beautiful and wonderful things he at any rate had escaped that summer followed summer and the yellow jonquils bloomed and died many times and nights of horror repeated the story of their shame but he was unchanged no winter marred his face or stained his flower-like bloom how different it was with material things where had they passed to where was the great crocus-coloured robe on which the gods fought against the giants that had been worked by brown girls for the pleasure of athena where the huge velarium that nero had stretched across the colosseum at rome that titan sail of purple on which was represented the starry sky and apollo driving a chariot drawn by white gilt-reined steeds he longed to see the curious table napkins wrought for the priest of the sun on which were displayed all the dainties and viands that could be wanted for a feast the mortuary cloth of king chilperic with its three hundred golden bees the fantastic robes that excited the indignation of the bishop of pontus and were figured with lions panthers bears dogs forests rocks hunters all in fact that a painter can copy from nature and the coat that charles of orleans once wore on the sleeves of which were embroidered the verses of a song beginning madame je suis tout joyeux the musical accompaniment of the words being wrought in gold thread and each note of square shape in those days formed with four pearls he read of the room that was prepared at the palace at rheims for the use of queen joan of burgundy and was decorated with thirteen hundred and twenty-one parrots made in broidery and blazoned with the king's arms and five hundred and sixty-one butterflies whose wings were similarly ornamented with the arms of the queen the whole worked in gold catherine de medicis had a mourning bed made for her of black velvet powdered with crescents and suns its curtains were of damask with leafy wreaths and garlands figured upon a gold and silver ground and fringed along the edges with broideries of pearls 
and it stood in a room hung with rows of the queen's devices in cut black velvet upon cloth of silver louis the fourteenth had gold embroidered caryatids fifteen feet high in his apartment the state bed of sobieski king of poland was made of smyrna gold brocade embroidered in turquoises with verses from the koran its supports were of silver gilt beautifully chased and profusely set with enamelled and jewelled medallions it had been taken from the turkish camp before vienna and the standard of mohammed had stood beneath the tremulous gilt of its canopy and so for a whole year he sought to accumulate the most exquisite specimens that he could find of textile and embroidered work getting the dainty delhi muslins finely wrought with gold thread palmates and stitched over with iridescent beetles wings the dakka gauzes that from their transparency are known in the east as woven air and running water and evening dew strange figured cloths from java elaborate yellow chinese hangings books bound in tawny satins or fair blue silks and wrought with fleur-de-lis birds and images veils of lassie worked in hungary point sicilian brocades and stiff spanish velvets georgian work with its gilt coins and japanese fukusas with their green-toned golds and their marvellously plumaged birds he had a special passion also for ecclesiastical vestments as indeed he had for everything connected with the service of the church in the long cedar chests that lined the west gallery of his house he had stored away many rare and beautiful specimens of what is really the raiment of the bride of christ who must wear purple and jewels and fine linen that she may hide the pallid macerated body that is worn by the suffering that she seeks for and wounded by self-inflicted pain he possessed a gorgeous cope of crimson silk and gold thread damask figured with a repeating pattern of golden pomegranates set in six-petalled formal blossoms beyond which on either side was the pineapple device wrought in seed pearls the orphreys were divided into panels representing scenes from the life of the virgin and the coronation of the virgin was figured in coloured silks upon the hood this was italian work of the fifteenth century another cope was of green velvet embroidered with heart-shaped groups of acanthus leaves from which spread long-stemmed white blossoms the details of which were picked out with silver thread and coloured crystals the morse bore a seraph's head in gold thread raised work the orphreys were woven in a diaper of red and gold silk and were starred with medallions of many saints and martyrs among whom was saint sebastian he had chasubles also of amber-coloured silk and blue silk and gold brocade 
and yellow silk damask and cloth of gold figured with representations of the passion and crucifixion of christ and embroidered with lions and peacocks and other emblems dalmatics of white satin and pink silk damask decorated with tulips and dolphins and fleur-de-lis altar frontals of crimson velvet and blue linen and many corporals chalice veils and suderia in the mystic offices to which such things were put there was something that quickened his imagination for these treasures and everything that he collected in his lovely house were to be to him means of forgetfulness modes by which he could escape for a season from the fear that seemed to him at times to be almost too great to be borne upon the walls of the lonely locked room where he had spent so much of his boyhood he had hung with his own hands the terrible portrait whose changing features showed him the real degradation of his life and in front of it had draped the purple and gold pall as a curtain for weeks he would not go there would forget the hideous painted thing and get back his light heart his wonderful joyousness his passionate absorption in mere existence then suddenly some night he would creep out of the house go down to dreadful places near bluegate fields and stay there day after day until he was driven away on his return he would sit in front of the picture sometimes loathing it and himself but filled at other times with that pride of individualism that is half the fascination of sin and smiling with secret pleasure at the misshapen shadow that had to bear the burden that should have been his own after a few years he could not endure to be long out of england and gave up the villa that he had shared at trouville with lord henry as well as the little white walled-in house at algiers where they had more than once spent the winter he hated to be separated from the picture that was such a part of his life and was also afraid that during his absence some one might gain access to the room in spite of the elaborate bars that he had caused to be placed upon the door he was quite conscious that this would tell them nothing it was true that the portrait still preserved under all the foulness and ugliness of the face its marked likeness to himself but what could they learn from that he would laugh at any one who tried to taunt him he had not painted it what was it to him how vile and full of shame it looked even if he told them would they believe it yet he was afraid sometimes when he was down at his great house in nottinghamshire entertaining the fashionable young men of his own rank who were his chief companions and astounding the county by the wanton luxury and gorgeous splendour of his mode of life he would suddenly leave his guests and rush back to town to see that the door had not been tampered with and that the picture was still there 
what if it should be stolen the mere thought made him cold with horror surely the world would know his secret then perhaps the world already suspected it for while he fascinated many there were not a few who distrusted him he was very nearly blackballed at a west end club of which his birth and social position fully entitled him to become a member and it was said that on one occasion when he was brought by a friend into the smoking-room of the churchill the duke of berwick and another gentleman got up in a marked manner and went out curious stories became current about him after he had passed his twenty-fifth year it was rumoured that he had been seen brawling with foreign sailors in a low den in the distant parts of whitechapel and that he consorted with thieves and coiners and knew the mysteries of their trade his extraordinary absences became notorious and when he used to reappear again in society men would whisper to each other in corners or pass him with a sneer or look at him with cold searching eyes as though they were determined to discover his secret of such insolences and attempted slights he of course took no notice and in the opinion of most people his frank debonair manner his charming boyish smile and the infinite grace of that wonderful youth that seemed never to leave him were in themselves a sufficient answer to the calumnies for so they termed them that were circulated about him it was remarked however that some of those who had been most intimate with him appeared after a time to shun him women who had wildly adored him and for his sake had braved all social censure and set convention at defiance were seen to grow pallid with shame or horror if dorian gray entered the room yet these whispered scandals only increased in the eyes of many his strange and dangerous charm his great wealth was a certain element of security society civilized society at least is never very ready to believe anything to the detriment of those who are both rich and fascinating it feels instinctively that manners are of more importance than morals and in its opinion the highest respectability is of much less value than the possession of a good chef and after all it is a very poor consolation to be told that the man who has given one a bad dinner or poor wine is irreproachable in his private life even the cardinal virtues cannot atone for half-cold entrees as lord henry remarked once in a discussion on the subject and there is possibly a good deal to be said for his view for the canons of good society are or should be the same as the canons of art form is absolutely essential to it it should have the dignity of a ceremony as well as its unreality 
and should combine the insincere character of a romantic play with the wit and beauty that make such plays delightful to us is insincerity such a terrible thing i think not it is merely a method by which we can multiply our personalities such at any rate was dorian gray's opinion he used to wonder at the shallow psychology of those who conceive the ego in man as a thing simple permanent reliable and of one essence to him man was a being with myriad lives and myriad sensations a complex multiform creature that bore within itself strange legacies of thought and passion and whose very flesh was tainted with the monstrous maladies of the dead he loved to stroll through the gaunt cold picture gallery of his country house and look at the various portraits of those whose blood flowed in his veins here was philip harbert described by francis osborne in his memoirs on the reigns of queen elizabeth and king james as one who was caressed by the court for his handsome face which kept him not long company was it young harbert's life that he sometimes led had some strange poisonous germ crept from body to body till it had reached his own was it some dim sense of that ruined grace that had made him so suddenly and almost without cause give utterance in basil hallward's studio to the mad prayer that had so changed his life here in gold-embroidered red doublet jewelled surcoat and gilt-edged ruff and wristbands stood sir anthony sherard with his silver and black armour piled at his feet what had this man's legacy been had the lover of giovanna of naples bequeathed him some inheritance of sin and shame were his own actions merely the dreams that the dead man had not dared to realise here from the fading canvas smiled lady elizabeth Deverer in her gauze hood pearl stomacher and pink slashed sleeves a flower was in her right hand and her left clasped an enamelled collar of white and damask roses on a table by her side lay a mandolin and an apple there were large green rosettes upon her little pointed shoes he knew her life and the strange stories that were told about her lovers had he something of her temperament in him these oval heavy-lidded eyes seemed to look curiously at him what of george willoughby with his powdered hair and fantastic patches how evil he looked the face was saturnine and swarthy and the sensual lips seemed to be twisted with disdain delicate lace ruffles fell over the lean yellow hands that were so overladen with rings he had been a macaroni of the eighteenth century and the friend in his youth of lord ferrers what of the second lord beckenham the companion of the prince regent in his wildest days 
and one of the witnesses at the secret marriage with mrs fitzherbert how proud and handsome he was with his chestnut curls and insolent pose what passions had he bequeathed the world had looked upon him as infamous he had led the orgies at carlton house the star of the garter glittered upon his breast beside him hung the portrait of his wife a pallid thin-lipped woman in black her blood also stirred within him how curious it all seemed and his mother with her lady hamilton face and her moist wine-dashed lips he knew what he had got from her he had got from her his beauty and his passion for the beauty of others she laughed at him in her loose bacante dress there were vine leaves in her hair the purple spilled from the cup she was holding the carnations of the painting had withered but the eyes were still wonderful in their depth and brilliancy of colour they seemed to follow him wherever he went yet one had ancestors in literature as well as in one's own race nearer perhaps in type and temperament many of them and certainly with an influence of which one was more absolutely conscious there were times when it appeared to dorian gray that the whole of history was merely the record of his own life not as he had lived it in act and circumstance but as his imagination had created it for him as it had been in his brain and in his passions he felt that he had known them all those strange terrible figures that had passed across the stage of the world and made sin so marvellous and evil so full of subtlety it seemed to him that in some mysterious way their lives had been his own the hero of the wonderful novel that had so influenced his life had himself known this curious fancy in the seventh chapter he tells how crowned with laurel lest lightning might strike him he had sat as tiberius in a garden at capri reading the shameful books of elephantis while dwarfs and peacocks strutted round him and the flute-player mocked the swinger of the censer and as caligula had caroused with the green-shirted jockeys in their stables and supped in an ivory manger with a jewel frontleted horse and as domitian had wandered through a corridor lined with marble mirrors looking round with haggard eyes for the reflection of the dagger that was to end his days and sick with that ennui that terrible tidium vitae that comes on those to whom life denies nothing and had peered through a clear emerald at the red shambles of the circus and then in a litter of pearl and purple drawn by silver-shod mules been carried through the street of pomegranates to a house of gold and heard men cry on nero caesar as he passed by and as elagabalus had painted his face with colours and plied the distaff among the women and brought the moon from carthage and given her in mystic marriage to the sun 
over and over again dorian used to read this fantastic chapter and the two chapters immediately following in which as in some curious tapestries or cunningly wrought enamels were pictured the awful and beautiful forms of those whom vice and blood and weariness had made monstrous or mad filippo duke of milan who slew his wife and painted her lips with a scarlet poison that her lover might suck death from the dead thing he fondled pietro barbi the venetian known as paul the second who sought in his vanity to assume the title of formosus and whose tiara valued at two hundred thousand florins was bought at the price of a terrible sin gian maria visconti who used hounds to chase living men and whose murdered body was covered with roses by a harlot who had loved him the borgia on his white horse with fratricide riding beside him and his mantle stained with the blood of perotto pietro riario the young cardinal archbishop of florence child and minion of sixtus the fourth whose beauty was equalled only by his debauchery and who received leonora of aragon in a pavilion of white and crimson silk filled with nymphs and centaurs and gilded a boy that he might serve at the feast as ganymede or hylas etceline whose melancholy could be cured only by the spectacle of death and who had a passion for red blood as other men have for red wine the son of the fiend as was reported and one who had cheated his father at dice when gambling with him for his own soul giambattista cibo who in mockery took the name of innocent and into whose torpid veins the blood of three lads was infused by a jewish doctor sigismondo malatesta the lover of isotta and the lord of rimini whose effigy was burned at rome as the enemy of god and man who strangled polysena with a napkin and gave poison to ginevra d'este in a cup of emerald and in honour of a shameful passion built a pagan church for christian worship charles the sixth who had so wildly adored his brother's wife that a leper had warned him of the insanity that was coming on him and who when his brain had sickened and grown strange could only be soothed by saracen cards painted with the images of love and death and madness and in his trimmed jerkin and jewelled cap and acanthus-like curls grifonetto baglioni who slew astorre with his bride and simonetto with his page and whose comeliness was such that as he lay dying in the yellow piazza of perugia those who had hated him could not choose but weep and atalanta who had cursed him blessed him there was a horrible fascination in them all he saw them at night and they troubled his imagination in the day 
the renaissance knew of strange manners of poisoning poisoning by a helmet and a lighted torch by an embroidered glove and a jewelled fan by a gilded pomander and by an amber chain dorian gray had been poisoned by a book there were moments when he looked on evil simply as a mode through which he could realize his conception of the beautiful end of chapter eleven